remember the theme that John's got here. He's combating heretics who are claiming, their claim is that sin is no longer an issue for a believer. A believer can live however they want. So they don't have to worry about sin anymore. There's no such thing as a sin if you're a Christian. That's what these folks were teaching. And that teaching is taught in this world today in, in places that they call churches. So as John deals with this topic, he tries to turn our attention from those people who commit sin to the one who came to take away our sins. And that's where our focus ought to be all the time anyway. Ought to be on the one who came to take away our sins, and that's Jesus Christ. But did you realize that Jesus came to do more than simply save us from the punishment for our sin? He did a lot more than just save us from the punishment for our sin. He came to defeat sin at every level. Every level. He conquered it personally with his own sinlessness. He lived sinlessly and conquered sin in a personal way. You want that explained? Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at a few other references here because I'm going to take my time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He conquered the effects of sin and death by his own death and resurrection. That's Let's also look in Hebrews. Let's back up to chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. So by his own death and his own resurrection, he conquered the effects of sin. The effects of sin, the wages of sin, is death, right? That's why we get sick. That's why we die. It's because we're sinners. He conquered that. He conquered the power of sin in the life of a believer through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We see that in Romans chapter 8. We see it in a couple of places. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 13 is one I want to look at. Oops. He says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go over to Galatians chapter 5. And verse 16. It says, This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that's how he, he conquered the power of sin in the life of a believer. So there's a several aspects. That's not all the aspects that Jesus defeated sin through his own life. So with all that in mind, we cannot claim to be a Christian and still live a life of practicing sin. 
That's what John is saying here. We took the long way around the barn to get there, but that's, that's what he's actually saying. So back to 1 John chapter 3, let's look at verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. The fact that there is no sin in Jesus that we just read about, that's the basis for the statement John makes in this verse, verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Notice that John uses the present tense again for both abiding and sinning. Both circumstances need to be constantly present for this statement to be true. If you are abiding, then you are not sinning. If, if there's a broken link there, then the statement's not true. We must be constantly abiding to be not sinning. When we slacken our abiding, that's when sin gets a toehold. That's when you're going to start seeing that rise back up in your life. Now let's think about that statement in the light of the context of the book that we've looked at so far. There are heretics in John's day, and these heretics have been making claims that they have fellowship with God. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 6. They claim to know God uh, in an intimate way, uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. And they claim to abide with God, chapter 2 and verse 6. We'll see in just a few minutes in verse 9 today that they also claim to be born of God. And we'll see when we get to chapter 4 and verse 19 that they claim to love God. John's been building a case throughout this book that these claims are lies. These claims that they have, these claims to know God, to have fellowship with God, to abide with God, to be born of God, to love God, these are all lies. And the evidence that they are lies is the lives of sin that these folks live. These folks are continually living in sin, persistent sin. And, as we'll see in a little bit, we saw a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago, they deny the deity of Christ. They deny the deity of Christ. That's a, that's a real clear trigger, and we see that in uh, Mormon Church, the Church of Latter-day Saints, we see it in the Jehovah's Witness Church, there are others who deny the deity of Christ. That's a clear signal. That's a heresy. That's a cult. John now compounds the issue with the next statement. He says, Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Now, I'll admit that I'm not aware of any times that these heretics of John's day actually claim to have seen or known.
Thank you, nurse. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Now, John, right off the bat, i got to make a sidestep here. John goes right back to calling them little children again. Uh, this is because children are vulnerable to going astray. Isn't that right? We all, we've all been familiar with little kids, right? Little kids like to go astray. They get lost. They wander around. They do what's wrong. John recognizes that, and he says, little children, I don't want you to be going. Get being deceived. Let no man deceive you. I'll take a sidestep here. Uh, just yesterday, I was reading, just briefly, that uh, it was a psychoanalyst, and she was analyzing the fact checkers and things like that that we we feel that we need to have the last ten years or so. And she used a very interesting term. I thought it was very interesting. I'll give it to you right now. She's she was claiming that we seem to be living in a post truth society. She didn't come right out and say that we're living in a uh, society of inherent liars, but she says we live in a society of post-truth. And she went on to expand on that. I'm not going to bore you with all the detail that she went into, but I thought it was very interesting. John was recognizing that in his day. He says, little children, I don't want you to be deceived. There's a lot of people out there that are trying to deceive us, aren't there? If John's readers aren't careful, these heretics, that's who John's specifically talking about, but it's true in a lot of areas of society. There are people who are trying to deceive. These heretics may fool you into accepting some wrong teachings, won't they? There's all kinds of people trying to fool you into believing false teaching. And if you're not careful, you might start believing that sinning isn't really that big a concern. They may even start thinking that by being pretty good, they're meeting the righteousness God demands. I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good. I'm better than average. You can fall right into this thought process, can't you? We see this kind of thinking all around us in everything that we do. Everything's statistics. Well, statistically, I'm not that bad, right? You can see it politically. You can see it on a theological level. That's what John's talking about. We can see it all kinds of different ways. We've got to keep our eyes peeled because that's heresy sneaking in. If we're, we're dealing with it in a theological level, that's heresy sneaking in. We're not that bad. You see, the heretics in John's day weren't just sinning themselves. They were leading other people into sin as well. And that's what's insidious about it. What you do in your own life, uh, yes, I'm concerned about it, but that's your business. When you start leading other people down the road, that's where we really have a problem. But this righteousness that we ought to have, this righteousness that John's talking about here, is a result of salvation through Christ. That's the only way we can be righteous. It's not our own righteousness. We are righteous as believers because we have been made righteous. Let's look at some examples of that. They're both in Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. I've got to be very clear on this point. I'm not righteous just because I'm a pretty good guy. 
I am a pretty good guy. I'm actually desperately wicked, but I shine up pretty good on Sunday mornings. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. The righteousness of God, which is by faith unto all and upon all that believe. It's Christ's righteousness. Go over to Romans chapter 10, verse 3. It says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Righteousness of God, that's our goal. So, John makes it clear that it's those people who are doing what is right who are actually righteous. The mark of our righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. We just finished seeing that. How do we measure up? How do we measure up to the righteousness of God? Now, looking at it in that context, bearing all that in mind, the verses we just finished looking at show us that Jesus came to take away our sins so that we don't have to go on sinning. I don't have to go on sinning anymore. We already talked about different aspects of why Jesus came here to remove different aspects of the sin nature. Now I do not need to continue in sin. In the next couple of verses, we're going to see that he also appeared to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Now the devil's works have been evil from day one. From the day he fell, it's been nothing but evil. And again, Christ destroyed those works so that we do not continue in sin. We're going to see that as we get to verses 8 and 9 here this morning. So in here we run into another problem. I told you this is a deceptively difficult passage. We run into another problem. How many people really claim to be as righteous as Christ was anyway? Not many people actually claim to be as righteous as Christ, right? Even in John's day, I doubt if there were very many people who made that claim. So what's John saying here? The righteousness of Christ is the mark. We all admit that we fall short of that. Nobody claims to be as righteous as Christ. So what's John saying? Well, I think he's trying to make the contrast even more stark. And here's what I mean. Let me expand it. Even though, even though nobody claims to be as righteous as Christ is, the fact is, if we live properly as Christians, it is now a possibility. No one claims to, we, none of us do, but it is in fact now a possibility for the first time. What a thought that is, isn't it? It is possible. I choose not to. It's my own willful ignorance and uh, transgression of God's law. But it is possible for me to be as righteous as Christ now. That's quite a thought. 
And we ought to make that our goal, hadn't we? Sobering. Verse 8. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, people who live a life of practicing sin, remember, we're not talking about struggling with sin and slipping in sin and things like that. We're talking about people who are living a life of practicing sin. They're not simply misguided. They are actually tools of the devil, John says here. Who is using them? What do you do with a tool? You use it, right? You use it for a task. What's the task? The destruction of the world. We saw John talk about that in another location, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Let's back up to that. Verse 44. Jesus is talking. He's talking to the uh, Pharisees around him. He says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus came to earth to both stop the works of the devil as well as save people and make them members of God's family. A couple of other tasks. Once again, the verbs here about committing sin are in the present tense. It's a constantly occurring, constantly going on thing. It's a way of life with these folks. When we have sin as a way of life, we are active tools of the devil rather than children of God. Jesus used very similar language, too, when he rebuked Peter, remember? Uh, Peter was telling Jesus, hey, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die. Jesus turned right around and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a tool of the devil. That was Peter, the first pope. <laughs> tool of the devil. Also, when Jesus addressed the leaders of the Jews that we were just finished talking about, he said that they were of the fa their father, the devil. That's strong language. What Jesus was saying and what John is implying right here is that the devil can put sinful desires into our hearts, can't he? He can put sinful desires into our hearts that can make us want to act in certain ways. And we become his tools. It's critical that we're not led astray by these demonic teachings. That's critical. we got the last verse we're going to look at here today, 1 John 3. Verse 9, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So here we have another difficult passage. 
How can John say that a believer cannot and will not sin? We all sin. We admit that we struggle with sin every day. We already admitted that earlier. So how can John say that a believer cannot and will not sin? The verb do not commit sin is in the present tense again, isn't it? It's in the present tense. It means that's a continuous action. It means that a Christian will not make a practice of sinning. It will not be a constant in his life. A true believer will not make a habit of continually violating God's laws willingly. We're not talking about ignorance here. Remember, we built that case a few minutes ago. Let's see another example. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul expands on this a little bit more. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21, he says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, Christians cannot live in continuous sin because God's Holy Spirit lives in us. God has given each believer a new nature which the Holy Spirit then nurtures and causes to produce the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's what we start seeing in a true believer. Let's look at the, where those things are listed and that's where we're going to stop here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. When we see these marks, that's when we can be assured Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthy passage here, but I want to make the whole case. Uh, verse 17, I'm going to read all the way down to 24. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness and greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught of him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt, according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then it goes on to describe, put away lying, put away this. Don't be angry. Go over to Colossians chapter 3. And verse 10. It says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. That's where we stand now. That's how we ought to walk as Christians. Don't you agree? Will you do that with me? Do you mind if I close us in a word of prayer?